Pastor Brady said it just a minute ago. You can clap at Good Friday. Would you just say hello to the people right around you? A lot of times we get real quiet at Good Friday because we think we can't talk. Welcome the people around you who have come on this beautiful Holy Week weekend. In John chapter 12, Jesus Christ is getting ready to head to Jerusalem to begin to do business, to stretch out his arms, to give himself for the life of the world. And in John 12, 32 through 33, Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Go back to verse 32. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Would you put your hand on your heart as we pray tonight? Lord, we need you to speak to us. We begin by consecrating our weekend to you. Yes, we know what we're going to be saying on Sunday, but we're here on Friday. And there's a good Friday story. And so Jesus, we need you to speak to us. Jesus, we need you to open our hearts. Jesus, we need you to heal us to the deepest places. Holy Spirit, we invite you. Would you give the Lord permission to speak to you tonight? to challenge you tonight, to open your heart tonight. Holy Spirit, have your way. We pray that you would walk through these aisles and that you would walk through our hearts and that you'd make us the people of God afresh tonight, we pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Our strength and our redeemer, we pray these things tonight in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is the most compelling figure in all of history. The Bible is the best-selling book of all time. Billions and billions of copies have been sold all over the world. And I just learned this week, John Egan told me this fact, that the Bible is also the most shoplifted book in all of the world. God have mercy on us. I mean, like, imagine turning to, to Deuteronomy 5 or Exodus chapter 20, and you get to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, unless it's the Bible, of course. I mean, Lord, have mercy on us. Just go to a hotel. The Gideons have already provided you one. And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. The Bible has traversed the globe. It's been read under black mangrove trees in Senegal, West Africa. It's been read in South America. It's been read in the hills of the mountains in Asia. The Bible has gone all over the world, and everywhere you go, they're talking about this man that was killed on a Friday night. Everywhere you go, kids are singing songs about J-E-S-U-S, the man, the myth, the legend, our savior. Everywhere you go, people are talking about Jesus. You can try to kick him out of schools, but you can't get rid of Jesus. 
Every art gallery you visit, there's Jesus hanging on crosses, painted on centuries of canvases that are hung in all the corridors of power all around the world. Jesus Christ is Lord. You can hang him on a tree and you can put him in the ground, but you can't keep the story of Jesus down. And I, when I am lifted up above the earth, I will draw all people to myself. You can try to pass abortion legislation, but Jesus is always there saying, let the little children come unto me. You can try to, you can try to kick Jesus to the curb. You can try to box him out. You can try to la, 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 la. You cannot finally avoid the one who was lifted up above the earth because he said, when they hang me on the tree, I'm going to draw all people unto me. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you're gonna have to deal with Jesus. But the question I wanna ask tonight is what was happening on the cross that night? Outside of Jerusalem's gates up Golgotha, what was happening on the cross that night? I'll say to you on the cross, Jesus Christ was meeting humanity's greatest need. What is humanity's greatest need? What we need is we need a savior. We need someone to redeem us. We need someone to pick us up out of the pit and to set our feet on the solid ground. We need someone to forgive us of our sins. We need someone to cleanse our conscience. We need someone to teach us to love our enemies. Jesus was doing that that night. He was meeting humanity's greatest need. And it's interesting to me because Christianity is the only faith that offers a perfect savior who's willing to die so that all might live. This is the only story on the planet earth, the only religion where we offer a perfect savior for the life of the world. He would die so that everyone else could live. Christianity is the only faith that introduces us to a God that bleeds. We just sang it. A God that bleeds on our behalf. Christianity is the only belief system that gives us a deity that takes the hit for us. He takes the fall in our place. Christianity is the only one that worships a God that becomes small. All the other gods are big and powerful, the great and powerful Oz, the man behind the curtain who wants you to be scared into obedience. And this is the God who becomes small, who's born of the virgin called Mary and and he's, he's raised and he's diapered and breastfed by his mother. And he goes to school and he's, he's taught a trade. Jesus, it's almost April 15th. Jesus paid taxes. God bless him. Hey, Peter, go down to catch the fish and pull the coin out and go pay our bill. Jesus pays taxes. He, he, he knows a guy, but he pays taxes. He's the one who kisses the unclean leper that no one else would touch dignifies and restores the, the only God who becomes small. Jesus is the God who weeps at funerals. Jesus is the God who's betrayed by his closest friends. Jesus is the God who is available to us. He comes out from behind the curtain and takes on flesh and moves among us and he suffers and he cries and he eats dinner and he passes the cup around and he says, drink this, all of you, I'm here for you, Christianity is the only religion that has a God that heals the world from the inside out. And he does it by climbing a tree. Buddha offers enlightenment, but he doesn't offer us salvation. Confucius 
offers great teaching, but he doesn't offer us salvation. Muhammad offers us a religion of discipline and submission, but he doesn't offer us salvation. But then there's this man called Jesus who you can't stop talking about. Why? Because he's our savior. He's the one who takes our story into himself. The great black Baptist preacher, one of the greatest preachers of the last hundred years, Dr. A. Lewis Patterson said, Buddha's bones are somewhere bleaching on a lonely hillside. Muhammad's voice is hushed and Confucius's vision is silenced, but the grave in Jerusalem is still empty. The God who comes close to us, the God who comes near, the God who opens up his life to lead us into salvation. We need a savior. And Paul picks this up thinking about Good Friday and he says Jesus is the one who runs into the sin and into the strife of the world and into the struggle. He says he, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us to be sin for us. This was my cross. I deserve this. This was your cross. You deserve this. He, God, made his son who knew no sin to become sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Thank God for Good Friday. The Bible primarily uses three words to talk about the unrighteousness that we were carrying around before Jesus came to change the story. Three words biblically that talk about the unrighteousness that we were drowning in. The first word is trespass. You'll remember this. Have you ever seen those little hidden cameras that parents put in their kitchen and they put their little 18 month old in the, in the high chair and they put a, a, a cupcake right in front of the kid and they say, don't touch. Do not touch. Mommy has to go to the the other room. Do not touch. And they've got the camera right there, and they know what's going to happen. And mommy goes out to the other room, and on the camera, the kid looks around, you know. And then first dips his finger in the the little, what do they put on top of that thing? What's it called? Icing on the cake, right? Yeah, forgive me. You know, that's kind of good right there. How long is mommy going to be gone? All of a sudden, you know, cramming, like trespasses. We crossed the line. There was a place we were not supposed to go, and all of us cross over that line. You all know about trespasses. Welcome to being human. And the Bible says every one of us, we were stuck in our sins and trespasses, and Jesus came to make us alive. The second word is iniquity, and iniquity is this Old Testament word that means bent or crooked, and and look around right now. You're sitting next to a crook. It's all right. You can just, just bless them in Jesus' name. We're all crooks in here, right? All of us trespasses, all of us iniquities, there are things in us like just proclivities, things that we love, things that we just naturally sort of lean toward and we tip over into a life of unrighteousness. And and the scriptures are just clear that we trespass, we cross the line, and there are things that lure us away from the way that is straight and narrow. Jesus came to heal us of our deep iniquities. 
The final word is, is the word that all of us are very aware of, the word sin. In the Greek, it's hamartia, which means to miss the mark. And it's not just like, oh, I've made a bad mistake. It's like a life pointed in the wrong direction. Like we're, we're actually going in the wrong direction. And Jesus came to heal us from our trespasses and iniquities and of our sins. You see, sin was not just a one-off mistake that we made, but it was a dark power that we were under. The power of sin, the, the, the principalities and the powers and the dark force that took us over from the inside out, not so that we just did bad things, but that we were dark on the inside because of the power of sin. And Jesus came and he said, and I, when I am lifted up above the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And on that night, Good Friday, he took the hit. And on that night, he bore our trespasses. And on that night, he took our iniquities in his own body. And on that night, he healed us from the dark power of sin that had taken us over, which is why we worship on Good Friday. Easter isn't Easter without Good Friday. Can you say amen tonight, church? Paul in Romans 7, that famous line where he says, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I end up doing. And he says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? And at the end of that, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes, the resurrection We'll celebrate on Sunday, but tonight we need to name that we carried in trespasses, we carried in iniquities, we carried in sin, and Jesus says, I will take that in my own body, and I will give you freedom, and I will give you forgiveness, and I will give you life and life to the full. Tonight we worship Jesus. Instead of our trespasses that led us astray, Jesus taught us to walk the narrow way. Instead of our iniquities that had turned us crooked, Jesus comes and straightens us out tonight. And instead of the power of sin, Jesus has set us free. I'll say it this way. The cross is the place where Jesus destroyed all of the things that were destroying us. The cross is the place where Jesus destroyed all the things that were destroying us. He made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The cross is the place where Jesus destroys all the things that were destroying us. This is why we call it Good Friday. The question that I want to ask tonight as we come to a close what happens when the spirit of Jesus gets inside of us? We know what Jesus has come to do. He's come to heal us of our, our trespasses and our iniquities and our sins. But what happens when the spirit of Jesus actually gets down inside of us? Jesus, who's hanging on the tree. We're going to look through the seven last words of Jesus here in a minute. But what does he do? He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What happens when the spirit of Jesus gets inside of us? Ephesians chapter two, Paul says it this way. His purpose, Jesus, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, the Jews and the Gentiles, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. 
Before this moment, Jews and Gentiles were, were competitors. They were chief arch rivals. They were enemies. They were trying to beat each other. They were trying to get the upper hand. And we know what this is like in our world today. We've got that side of the aisle and this side of the aisle. We've got those people that look like that and those people over there that look like this. We've got people who make this amount of money and people who make that amount of money. We've got the educated and the uneducated. We've got, and Jesus on the cross was making the two groups one. Jesus was coming to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to each other. Jesus was coming by saying, forgive them, Father. He was making something possible in us that was not possible before that moment. Jesus, he said, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you to turn the other cheek. What happens when the spirit of Jesus gets in us is we begin living for the good of other people. What happens when the spirit of Jesus gets in us is we begin blessing those that have cursed us. What happens when the spirit of Jesus gets in us is we begin to think about our possessions as something we are supposed to steward, not own. And if someone else needs it, we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus to those who are in need. When the spirit of Jesus gets in us, we start living for the good of other people. You see this in Jesus's final hours. In his last hours before creating a new humanity, we see Jesus feeding his betrayer. Judas was in the room that night, 30 pieces of silver clanking around in his pocket. And Jesus says, here you go. This is my body broken for you. This is my cup, the blood of the new covenant shed for you, Judas. Jesus feeds his betrayer in his last hours. In his last hours before creating one new humanity, Jesus is dining with his denier. Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Never, Lord, I'd go to the cross, hang me up next to you. That's the guy I am. And Jesus goes, we'll see. Next couple hours, I don't even know the man. Three times he denies him. Jesus is there dining with his denier in the final hours. When the spirit of Jesus gets in you, you can begin to sit at the table with your enemy and bless them. In his last hours before creating a new humanity, we see Jesus caring for his doubter. Jesus opening up his life to take other people in. I'll say it this way, when the spirit of Jesus gets inside us, we start laying our lives down for the world. In 1955, some good old Wheaton boys just graduated college. They were in love with Jesus and they were starting to get married. And they said they'd heard about this tribe down in South America that didn't have the scriptures translated in their own language and that broke their heart. These people have got to hear the story of the good news of Jesus. And I, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And these people don't know the story. And so we must go down there. And so they start making plans in 1955. Let me show you these five guys, five handsome young college graduates. Do we have that there? There's Roger and Pete and Jim and Nate and Ed McCauley. And they they gather their resources and some of them are married and they get their families together and they say, we're gonna move down to South America and we're gonna go learn the language and translate the scriptures. We're gonna go show them the love of Jesus. And so on January 3rd of 1956, uh, one of them's a pilot and they begin to fly over in this small plane. They find the Aka Indian tribe, the, the Waodani tribe, right off of the Amazon River and they'd never seen white people. And so these guys are flying over and they drop down a basket 
We come in peace, and they send food and, and, and like just, just a signal like, hey, we're coming, we're, we're nice, I promise, we're not gonna. And they land four, four miles down river, and they walk four miles. And on January 3rd, 1956, they, they meet the Waodani Indian tribe. And it was a nice first interaction after dropping the sort of we come in peace basket, and they go back four miles, and. And then five days later, they come over to engage. And on that day, the chief warrior of the tribe, a man named Minkaye, Minkaye came out with several of his guys and they had their spears. And the five men came back five days later, just like they had done January 3rd. And all five of the men were speared to death and thrown in the Amazon River and sent downstream, dead. Some of these men had young children, wives, and they got word four miles down the river that their husbands were dead, their fathers were dead, and they were heartbroken. And Elizabeth Elliot, one of the wives, said, we have to go back. Maybe, maybe they'd be nicer to the women. I don't know. We'll bring the, but we just have to go back. These men cannot die in vain. They came to tell the story of Jesus, and we're here, and we've got to go back. And so these women with their children come, and they meet the tribe, and somehow, some way, the spirit of Jesus that the Indians saw in those men that they killed started troubling them, like maybe we shouldn't have done that. And here these women keep coming back and they're not afraid to lose their lives. And the spirit of Jesus breaks their heart and these, the whole tribe says yes to Jesus. To this day, the Waldani tribe, I've met Minkaye. Let me show you this first picture of Minkaye and Steve Saint. So Steve Saint is one of the sons of Nate Saint who was killed. Minkaye right there is the man who killed Steve Saint's dad. And Steve Saint ended up growing up in that village on the river with the tribe. And at, let me show you the next picture. This is Minkaye right toward the end of his life. And he, I actually got to meet Minkaye one time. Beautiful man of God. And at Minkaye's funeral, Steve Saint stood up and he said this, I want to read this to you. He said, we traveled together, we ate together, shared the same room together, we spoke together. I have known Minkaye since I was a little boy when he took me under his wing and had his sons teach me how to hunt with a blowgun. He was one of my dearest friends in the world. Yes, he killed my father, but he loved me and my family. And now one of my grandsons is named Minkaye. We will miss you, my my Minkaye, but we hold on to the certain hope that we will soon see you again. I'll tell you tonight, only the healing power of Jesus can do that. A man who lost his father at the hands of Minkaye has a grandson that's named Minkaye. What happened is these men came and showed the love of Jesus, and even in their death, these guys, the, the Indian tribe saw that the spirit of Jesus was tender and kind and they ended up giving their lives to Jesus. And what I want you to see is that Jesus on the night when he was hung on the tree and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus injected that kind of love and forgiveness and healing and life and blessing into the world. Friends, tonight I'm here to tell you that it's possible to live this way.
Jesus took our sins and our trespasses and our iniquities on the cross and he set us free and he filled us with his spirit so that we can bless those that curse us and we can live the life that Jesus lived. Friends, tonight we come to worship the one who was and is and is to come. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Church, can you say amen tonight? Stand with me, please, as we prepare to receive communion. Would you get your communion elements ready? They were at the door as you were coming in. If hope you were able to get those. If you didn't, raise your hand. We've got some ushers that are walking the aisles. If you'd open up those communion elements, and before we receive them, I need us to take a moment in the presence of Jesus to respond. And I want you to quiet your hearts tonight. I want you to think back to that night where the one who was sinless gave himself for the life of the world. And I want us to begin to call on the name of Jesus. Some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. Sign back up, call on the name of Jesus. Some of you are here and you're new to this story or you've been away from this story for a long time and you know that you have some, some trespass in you and some iniquity in you and you're under the power of sin. You've got habits that you're stuck in and you can't break free. Tonight, call on the name of Jesus. Would you right now in your own words begin to say, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, I worship you. And Jesus, I submit my life to you. Jesus, I need you. I depend on you. I call on you tonight for healing. Would you ask him to touch you to the deepest places? Jesus gave us a prayer. I want to give you the first little line of this that we're going to pray together. If you'd put it up on the screen in the Lord's prayer, Jesus prayed. He taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses. Right now, would you join me in praying that together, saying, forgive us our trespasses. Lord, we need you to heal us. We're sorry for the ways we've sinned against you. We're sorry for the ways we've held it against other people. We're sorry for the ways that we've lived against your law. Forgive us our trespasses. Let's take up the, the rest of that and pray it together by saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. I want you to think about right now who fits in that category. Maybe the betrayer, the co-business owner that duped you out of your money, someone who left you, broke your heart. Can you right now just by the Spirit of Jesus begin to say, Father, forgive them. Father, bless them. Father, help them. Forgive them even as you've forgiven me. Tonight, church, would you take those words on your lips? Bless those that have cursed you. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and remember who was at the table that night. And he broke it. Would you break that little wafer there in your hands? And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me, friends, tonight. We remember that Jesus was broken so that we could be made whole. Receive his wholeness tonight. You may receive the bread.
on the same night, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant given in my blood and it's given for the remission of your sins. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Some of you have been carrying around shame for a decade and tonight it is being drowned downstream. It's being washed away in the blood of Jesus. It's being forgiven. It's being buried in the sea of forgetfulness. Tonight, I say to you, the good news of the gospel is you are clean because of the work of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You may drink the cup tonight. And now for just one more moment, would you take your seats?